Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to another astounding episode of My Sister Made Me View It. No. My name is no. Megan and I'll be your host for this introduction. No. And I've been voted off the island. Well, welcome to My Sister Made Me View It Books Edition, Megan's Choice. We are covering The Way of Kings, a book which I've read many times and Emily is experiencing for the first. This week, we're covering chapters 6, 7, and 8. And I don't remember. I think it's 4, 5, 6, and 7. No, because eight is anything reasonable. Listen, you'll find out once we get into the meat of the episode, I suppose. Also, I think Emily will put it in the title. But we want to thank you all for listening. Now lay back, close your eyes, pump up those headphones, and enjoy the two of us giggling way too loud over, what, Kaladin? Probably Kaladin, right? (laughs) All right, take it away, theme song. Hello everyone! In these chapters, we find out what Shallan's true intentions are. Kaladin has honestly, truly, a terrible day. And Shallan makes plans for her future. My name is Megan, and I should be drawing storyboards. My name is Emily, and I should be working on my book submission. But instead... We're gonna do a podcast! We're making a podcast! Today we're talking about The Way of Kings. Chapters... Five, six, and seven. Heretic, bridge four, and anything reasonable. Emily, how was your dessert course? It was awesome. Listen, I was a little worried (laughs) because it was so much information and it was presented in a very interesting way. But I'm like, if I have to work this hard at every single chapter we read... I am not going to have a good time. Set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. But now it's plot time. Plot time! Uh, We're going to first start off, uh, we want to mention at the beginning of each chapter, these little epigraphs or these little chapter headers. Emily, can you read the little chapter header at the beginning of chapter five? It says, I have seen the end and have heard it named the night of sorrows, the true desolation, the ever storm. It said it was collected 15 seconds pre-death. Subject was a dark-eyed youth of unknown origin. Cool. Cool. Chapter 5. We finally meet the heretic herself, Yasna Colin. And guess what? What? She's not ugly. She's pretty. She's very pretty. (laughs) She's beautiful. She is not what... Shalon was expecting. Not at all. Shalon's like, oh, she's... The king's sister, she's going to be like this old spinster lady, like my tutors. Because she's not married. She's <laughs> she's an unmarried woman who only cares about the scholarly pursuits. And I'd say Shalon is a little taken aback with how handsome Yasna is. Mm-hmm. Yep. She is, oh, we're going to, we're going to paint a word picture, describe Yasna for our listeners. She is tall and slender. She has this beautiful clear skin and a square face. Uh, I'm paraphrasing Shalon. So Shalon's looking over Yasna with this artist's eye. 
She has black curly hair that's half done up and then half tumbling in curls around her shoulders. If it wasn't done up, it would fall clear past her waist. She's wearing a traditional um, Alethi style dress, which is very tight around the bust and waist and very long flowing skirts below. And she has a very particular piece of jewelry on. It's two rings that connect down to a bracelet and thin chains run between the rings and the bracelets holding a triangle of particular gems there. And this piece of jewelry is called a soul caster. Hey, Emily, what's a soul caster? I don't know yet. I thought it was a person. At this point, as I'm reading it. By the end of the chapter, I know what it is. I'm saying at this point. It it says it at the very next line. Well, yes. I'm saying. (laughs) So when I first got here. So soul caster, uh, Shalon notes, has two meanings. It refers to the actual person who does soul casting and the fabrial or item that the soul casting is done with. So Yasna Kolin has a soul caster that Shalon mentions is identical to the one they found in, in Shalon's father's coat. Yes. Which is a big deal because it was an illegal one. I don't know if he stole it or if he had it made. I don't know if you can make them. But we come to find out this is one of the reasons that Shalon is here. Yeah. she uh, Shalon buries the lead on that, though, because we believe that Shalon is here to become an apprentice. Yes. Uh, a ward. A ward. And she uh, finally comes up to Yasna, who's speaking to the king of Carbranth. Uh, his name is Teravangian. And so Emily and I, we had to pause and sort of talk this over. So a little talk bit about... genealogy. Yeah. So a little bit about how this is set up is Elokar is the son of Gavilar, who died in the first chapter. Gavilar is the king of Alethkar, which is a much bigger collection of lands, um, which I don't think Emily got a ton of details on, but, but Alethkar is a much bigger collection of lands. Carbronth is its own like city-state. So Taravangian is the king of just Carbranth, or this city of bells. So even though Yasna is a princess, technically she probably like kind of outranks Taravangian on the world stage. Yep. And the king has an issue that he needs Yasna to help him with, but first Yasna motions Shalon up to her. And Shalon initially is like, oh my gosh, this is it. The wardship's happening. What does she find out? She finds out that the invite to become Yasna Kalin's ward was not really that. It was an invite to meet with Yasna Kalin to see if she wanted to take Shalon as her ward. You know, so Shalon's been chasing her like around the world. And Shalon is not the only one. There have been 12 other girls like this year who've tried to do the same thing. And a lot of them apparently gave up. After the first couple tries, like the first few ports, they missed her and they just gave up. Mm-hmm. And Shalon is pretty upset about this. Yeah, so she covers up her grimace and Yasna notices, huh, no tantrum, that's promising. And then she starts to quiz Shalon on her education. And poor Shalon is trying not to make excuses for herself, but is also trying to be very honest in that... I have gaps in my education, but the stuff I do know, I'm really good at. 
she mentions her artistic talent and she's like, oh, my, my glyph wards are said to be, you know, really special and really beautiful by people who see them. And Yasna's a little sniffy about the glyph arts. wards. Yeah. yeah. Well, about glyph wards in particular, she says, oh, I didn't know you were into superstition. Mm. So we don't, we don't know what that is yet. But she's like, do you know logic and its related arts? Have you read anything by this logic master, this woman, this woman, this woman, this woman. She like rattles off a list of names and Shalon internally is like, that last one, uh, Shaka daughter has with, that's a Shin name. Do the Shin even have logic masters? Racist. She's racist, she's classist, and she's got some gender issues as well, which aren't very overt yet but that that might be a struggle we'll see shalon dealing with yeah shalon is not like throwing a tantrum but she's reasonably upset i have the reasonable foundation in the sciences you might expect of a woman my age shalon said more stiffly than she would have liked which means i can speak with skill about geography geology physics and chemistry i've made particular study of biology and botany as i was able to pursue them with a reasonable level of independence on my father's estates but if you expect me to be able to solve Fabsorian's conundrum with a wave of my hand, I suspect you shall be disappointed. Have I not a right to make reasonable demands of my potential students, Miss Devar? Reasonable? Your demands are about as reasonable as the one made of the Ten Heralds on Proving Day. With all due respect, Brightness, you seem to want potential wards to be master scholars already. I might be able to find a pair of 80-year-old ardents in the city who may fit your requirements. They could interview for the position, though they may have trouble hearing well enough to answer your questions. She's a little snippy. She's a little snippy. <laughs> and and Shalon does feel badly about this. I think I think I read it with a little more fire than Shalon would have presented. <laughs> I, I imagine Shalon like goes through this with like a calm demeanor, but clearly with that little snip in her in her voice. And so as I'm reading this, because Megan has drilled it into my head, the numbers are important. Not um, all of the numbers. Which one? Ten. Ten. So Shalon talks about the demands made of the Ten Heralds on Proving Day, and so I'm wondering if those are the ten people from the Prelude minus one. I don't know what Proving Day is yet, so that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yasna clearly doesn't think that Shalon is ready, and she mentions, does your mother think that you're ready for a wardship? And then Shalon says, my mother passed away when I was just a child. And Yasna's like, oh, yes, your father remarried. And she knows the name of Shalon's stepmother. And Shalon is kind of weirded out by this because she's like, our house, she doesn't say this to Yasna, but she's like, our house is not super important. Why does the king's sister know this very specific thing about my house? Mm -hmm. She mentions that her stepmother's passed away. But again, it's a secret that... It's not a secret that her stepmom passed away. No, it's a secret that her father is dead. And she never lies to Yasna ever about her dad not being alive. Mm -hmm. But then they get to the place where King Teravangian had a request of Yasna. What does he need Yasna to do? There has been a cave-in. They have walked into the cavern of their palace. I say a cave-in. A giant rock has fallen that is like... 
I wasn't able to quite get a, a picture of how big it is, but basically it's too big to move anywhere. And the king's granddaughter is trapped behind the rock. It's blocking a, mm-hmm. a room. And it was due to the recent high storm. So Shalon mentions, oh, I thought Carbronth was protected from the high storms by the way that it's cut into the rock. So he's saying with the high wind, uh, what happened was that the rock fell. And he's like, if we had a shard blade, and they don't, obviously, but I'm starting to get a better picture because I know that they are very rare. And like, it's you can't go out and buy one. You can't just like go and buy one if you need one. They could have used it to cut the stone away just really easy, but they, they're too small of a city, I guess, to rank having one. That's my guess. So he expects Yasna to do something about this. I'm sitting there reading it going, well, yeah, she's the king's sister and she's got a lot of money. I don't know if she's going to hire people to come in and like move it. I don't know. And so Yasna turns to Shalon and asks what method she would use to ascertain the mass of the stone. (laughs) And I love Shalon. She says... Well, I'd suppose I'd ask his majesty. His architects probably calculated it. And Yasna's like, that's a point in your favor. A scholar does not waste time rediscovering information already known. And I was like, oh, that's really smart. Go Shalon. But also it's weight times length times height. <laughs> 360 degrees. It's 360 degrees inside the triangle. <laughs> That's from our Roswell podcast. Yes, we know that a triangle is 180. Don't at us. So the next part is really cool. What's soul casting, Emily? She turns... Okay, I can't do it justice. So you hopefully you've read along. But Yasna walks up to the stone, focuses really hard, and like sinks her hand into it. And it explodes into smoke. She transforms a solid rock into smoke. And we know this was like her plan from the beginning because she has wet rags brought down for everyone to put over their nose and mouth. So we all know that she's going to be filling this with... Oh, so she's going to be filling this room with smoke. And I have to tell you, as Emily was reading this, she she just goes like this. <laughs> Like this really low chuckle. It was so cool. And there's there's something with it. So you mentioned that it explodes out. You haven't watched Full Metal Alchemist. No, I haven't. (laughs) But there's a little bit of equivalent exchange going on here. She turns the mass of the stone, which is something like 150. Oh, yes, it is. They mentioned their unit of measurement. It is 15,000 cavals. For how, that's the mass. Yeah. So it's uh, got a mass of 15,000 cavals of stone. And Yasna turns into 15,000 cavals of smoke. She exchanges it to be the equal amount of smoke. So the reason it explodes out and fills this, you know, whole space is that smoke takes up much more space than rock. It's very cool. I want to do a a redo of that... um, that video where it's like, what's heavier? 15,000 cavals of stone or 15,000 cavals of smoke. It's stone because stone is heavier than smoke. But they're both 15,000 cavals. I don't know what this is. 
I want to talk about some other things first. Just some other really fun cultural things in this. And one of them is they, they okay, A, they save the granddaughter of the king. She's fine. Um, Shalon observes that the girl is too young for a modesty sleeve. So I thought that was cool. It's an age thing. Remember, the left hand mm-hmm. gets covered. Some people, uh, because Shalon's from a much higher family, she buttons it. And so there's no way that her hand can come out. Other lower classes, I guess, just wear a glove. But she observes that this girl is too young to actually have one. So mm-hmm. that was very cool. And Shalon is like, oh, she has a soul caster and it works. And then for the audience, Shalon states her true reason for being here is not to get a wardship. It's to take the soul caster. And restore honor to her family. <laughs> so Shalon has been following Yasna around the world, planning to lie to her to become her apprentice in order to steal her soul caster. Yep. Which ends our first Shalon chapter mm-hmm. and takes us to Kaladin! Chapter 6, Bridge 4. Can you read us the epigraph, please? I can. It says, I'm cold, mother. I'm cold. Mother? Why can I still hear the rain? Will it stop? And it says this was collected 32 seconds pre-death. Subject was a light-eyed female child, approximately six years old. And so I'm still of the opinion that people can prophesy before they die. And whatever, like, the the vibrations of the universe, I don't know, open something up and they understand something before they die. So that's my guess. So. Okay. So... Kaladin is at the Shattered Plains, and there is... Which is where he's always wanted to go! Yay, him! And there is an illustration. Yes, we can't show you because it's a podcast. Right. But there's an illustration on uh, the beginning of this chapter, and it's basically a map of the camp. And we find out that there are ten armies there, right? We found that out before, but okay. we, I, we reinstated the fact... There are 10 armies. There are 10 of these huge camps here. Mm-hmm. They're all laid out like this map is here. So they, there are, there's the honor chasm, which they mentioned briefly. There are the, there's the mess hall where the slaves live, the shanties where the merchants live, where the soldiers barracks are, um, the staging area, the bridge storage, carpentry, stone warehouses. Like it's just... It's a town. It's not just a camp. Each of these ten armies has a town. Because, do you know how long this war has been going on? Five years. Yeah! They haven't given us... We still... It's still five years and eight months from when the king has been murdered. Mm-hmm. Plus some other time, so... Yeah. Uh, so I, I warned you, when you were reading, I said, Hey, I'm going to ask you something about this map. It's not a trick. I just want to... <laughs> Okay, so look at the map. Okay. Center, left-hand side, there's an arrow with a word under it. I'm sorry, center, right-hand side. Duty tent. Uh, no. Bridge storage. Stormward. Duty tent has an arrow underneath it. I'm so sorry. I meant Stormward. Stormward also has an arrow under it, though, right? It has an arrow above it. I apologize. (laughs) I was not looking at the map, and I was saying, oh, look. So... It's pointing stormward. Yes. 
They do I, they fight the wind? I would do they like fight you, the storms. I'd like you to do a little inference. Oh no. Okay, I'll do my best. I'm ready. What does that <laughs> mean? <laughs> storm word towards the storm. Is there an eternal storm that that billows and they have to get to the eye of the storm where the bad guys are? Uh, so I'm gonna help you out here a little bit. Thank you. Storms always come from the same direction. And they always move in the same direction. Okay. So just like they have a predictable, like, you know what days the storms come from, mm-hmm. they always move from uh, one direction to the next. And I, they always move from east to west. That's it. Okay. Storms move from east to west. Got it. Nice. All right. So Kaladin, they release all the slaves from the wagons. They don't really think that, you know, they don't care. They know they're not going to run away anywhere. There's... Like, Thousands and thousands of soldiers down below. Yeah, there's the army in front, and there's nothing behind them. So they literally have nowhere to go. And Kaladin has a brief moment of hope that he is going to be put to work in the army, which is where he's wanted to go. He's like, oh, if I could just hold a spear again, this would all have been worth it. Can this be the end of all of my bad luck? And is it? Maybe. No. No. <laughs> It's definitely not. Uh-huh. So Kaladin is walking through the army and it's like home to him where he's recognizing smells, you know, of like oil and leather and all of these things. And and he's, it's like his home away from home. So he, you know, immediately he's just like, oh, I made it. And then, you know, everything gets horrible. But I liked how Kaladin's mind picks up a lot of details about the surroundings that they're in. And I think Brandon Sanderson does a fabulous job with his individual characters because like Shalon takes in a lot of detail about architecture and visuals because she's an artist. And so she notices how things look and thinks about how she would draw them. And so she's able to, haha, paint a word picture for the (laughs) audience. And with Kaladin, he picks up things that he's already familiar with, where he's like, oh, I know what this is. and I know what this is. And it's not weird. It's not him mm-hmm. sitting there and like listing all these things out. He's just <laughs> raindrops on paw lips and claw snips on chows. <laughs> these are a few of my familiar things. <laughs> and so I thought that was a really cool, a really cool thing. And then a couple other things. He mentions that his... Mother wore a modesty glove, but not a sleeve. sleeve. And so that gives us a little insight into his and background. Kaladin thinks that sleeves are kind of like a nuisance. Impractical. Yeah, impractical and silly. And it's so funny because when we see this from Shalon's point of view, she's like, gloves are too racy. <laughs> you gotta have the whole <laughs> sleeve, man. Kaladin, as he's getting all settled in and they're basically doing the transactions for selling the servants realizes all the men are very excited because they believe they'll be able to earn out their slave price. He realizes that they have recorded every, all these men down as never having paid anything towards their slave price. So these men are basically starting from zero and they don't know it. I hated that. Okay. I don't I can't remember how you say his name. Tavlakiev? Tavlakov. Tavlakov. He basically is like, this man is a deserter. I cannot in good conscience let you put him in the army. Yeah, so like Kaladin's hoping, because they're all being sold to this particular camp. And Lyriel, what's her name? Develop? Um, Hold on. 
she's talking. The woman. Sorry. Maybe they don't say her name. I, oh, Laurel. Laurel. Who is a palindrome? It's because she's got a palindric name. Yep. So Laurel is doing the business with Tavlakov, and she is doing the, the trading. And so she is going to be purchasing these men and deciding where they're going to be put to work. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin is hoping, oh, hey, maybe I can be in the army and I can fight. And then Tavlakov just cuts his feet out from under him. Basically, it's vengeance for the map thing from, from Kaladin's from last chapter. Kaladin tore up the map when he was lost. And tells her that he's a deserter from the army. And that which doesn't is, sound like the doesn't sound squad leader we knew. No, and also it colors the perception of everyone around him, not the slaves, but the other soldiers who are like you're a deserter, and they have very little respect or patience for this. So where does Kaladin get sent? Kaladin gets sent to a place, uh, to a bridge crew called Bridge Four. Uh, he meets the man who's in charge of the bridge crews. Someone you don't like. Nope. In fact, I think I was supposed to ask you about him. Hey, what do you think about Gaz? We're going to talk about that okay. a little bit later, but I have feelings about this person, and they're not They're not good. One other thing they mentioned when Kaladin gets to sent to the bridge crew, and Gaz is like, where's your... You're talking to the bridge crew that's already there. Where's your leader? And they're like, he jumped down the honor chasm last night. And instead of being sad, Gaz is just like, ugh. <laughs> so what's the honor chasm? We don't know. Okay. I'm guessing, though, that it's it's a tongue-in-cheek thing for, like, like in the army, when it gets too much, you can go ring the bell. If it gets to be too much, you jump down the chasm and die. <laughs> so uh, there's that. So anyway. Oh, Kaladin thinks they're going to be woodworkers because there's a bunch of wood everywhere and everyone laughs at him. So Kaladin gets singled out and sent to the bridge crew and everyone else, all the other slaves, get sent somewhere else. And Kaladin shows up. He's barefoot. He has his slave clothes on that he's been traveling in for how many months. And he's given over to a man called Gaz, who uh, is in charge of the bridge crew and Kaladin's trying to make a good impression and he keeps kind of name dropping. Who does he name drop? He names drops Amaram. Oh, and Amaram's also a palindrome. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) It's because it starts with an A. You were saying they do sounds rather than spelled out letters. Amaram. A, you're right. It's, it's in the, in the glyph character based spelling. It would be am, r, am. So the am character is on both sides. Am. Counts both ways. And Gaz is not impressed in the least. And actually, like, they get off on the wrong foot. Oh, big time. Big time. And so suddenly there's a, not a whistle. There's a call and a horn or. It's time to go. And he gets, Kaladin gets shoved into carrying this bridge which, okay, so I remembered the bridges, but I was very unsure of how they looked. Because I'm like, if you just take a giant, like, ladder. <laughs> I was I was thinking of, like, a, a like a firefighter ladder. Like, that, like, extends up. Yeah. And the, everyone would crawl across one person yes. at a time. So I'm like, well, that's not very, like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But Megan, like, Megan drew some great pictures. We're going to have our Twitter. Hopefully this will be on our Twitter. Check our Twitter. <laughs> yeah. When this episode goes up, we'll, we'll post these images as well. But um, I was trying to demonstrate to Emily the 
dimensions of the bridge, how it's carried, and how it's put down and across. So it's basically a ramp. Yeah. With a place underneath for all the men to it's carry a, it. It's a two-sided ramp. Yes. So if you look at it from the side, it's a low trapezoid. A low, long trapezoid. And if you look at it from above, so I need everyone to take your mind cameras and look at it from above. You're seeing the rectangle of the bridge. You're going to have rows of five men across, and it's going to be eight rows deep. And it's stretched out. So this bridge is pretty long compared to how wide it is. 40? No, it's 30 feet by 8 feet. Yes. And there are handles on the outside, and there are beams underneath. So remember our rows of five men across? There's a man on each end. That's outside. on the outside of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And then there's three men underneath the bridge. Carrying it on their shoulders. Carrying it on their shoulders with the beams underneath there. So of your 40 men who are carrying the bridge, these eight rows of five, there are 16 men who can see. And then everyone else is just in total darkness underneath the bridge. Mm-hmm. And last chapter, I made a comparison to Ben-Hur, and I should have waited for this scene because this scene really reminded me of the rowing sequences in Ben-Hur because the shattered planes what do the shattered planes look like what are they shattered planes are basically plateaus with huge chasms in the middle but you have to get your army from point a to point b aka the battle you there's no way to cross these chasms like like they're they're 30 feet Or less, because these bridges have to get over them. And they use these bridges, these men haul the bridges to the Mm -hmm. gaps, set them down, let the armies cross, and then pull them and carry them to the next one and allow people to cross. Yeah. So a little little foreknowledge. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to call me. Because I I wouldn't say this is a spoiler, but here's just a little bit more info on the tactics of how this works. Um, So the ten camps have been outside these shattered planes for five years. So they have a pretty well-beaten path. They, like, know which plateaus they can take um, because you always want to cross to a plateau that's a little bit lower than the one you're on, like a stair step down. Because when you're pushing your bridge across, it's pretty impossible to, like, tilt your bridge up at an angle. So the 40 men carrying the bridge, and we have multiple bridges. Kaladin's on bridge four. There's there's a lot, a lot of other bridge crews because they have to carry the whole army across. But the bridge crews carrying their bridges run out in front of the army. They plant at the edge of a plateau. They The men who are underneath the bridge step out. And then you use the handles on the outside to push the bridge, you know, pretty far over the edge. And then, you know, it'll fall down with like a clunk with the the, these 40 men still holding on to it and holding on to the back so it doesn't just slip and fall into the chasm. But they push it and they get it situated. So basically the bridge is, is slanted slightly down. And once you get all your bridges planted, the army crosses to the plateau. So these plateaus are large enough that they can hold the entire army on each plateau. Well, then the bridge crew crosses last and then they pull the bridge after them. Again, making sure that their bridges don't tip and fall down into the chasm. They have to pick it up, and then they have to run around the entire army to get to the next edge of the plateau. How long does it take them to go to where they're going? Okay, so this part was horrific to me. This whole thing takes up several pages of this 
horrible, horrible journey for Kaladin doing this for the first time. No one explains anything to him. He's sent out. He doesn't have shoes. He doesn't have a vest. I mean, he's just... Yeah, and he's one of the men who's carrying underneath the bridge in the complete dark. Mm -hmm. So he's got someone next to him, like this leathery-faced man, who gives him, like, not necessarily like, hi, can I teach you a lesson? (laughs) Um, But he's more like, count your steps as you're running. It helps. Or every once in a while, Callan will ask a question, like, well... In between, like when they first put the bridge down after putting it across the chasm, Kaladin's stretching out so his muscles don't get stiff. Yeah, because he's just like, if I lay down, I have been inactive for so long that my muscles will seize up and I won't be able to get up. So he's like... He's a smart boy. He's a smart boy. And Gaz is giving him like a stink eye. And Kaladin's like, what's his problem? And the this leathery faced man is like, he's wondering why you aren't lying down. But yeah, it takes them an hour to get to where they're going of running, of carrying the bridge... Kaladin's feet are getting just torn to shreds and his shoulders, he's getting just like awful abrasions on his shoulders from from carrying this bridge in the dark. Yeah, and he's just running in the dark and trying to pick up what's going on. And he does mention, he's just like, I will always have these scars from the first day. And it's only because this guy, Gaz, felt like being an (laughs) a-hole. Language! But no, let's see. What would be the... What's the good place? Uh, well, oh, ash hole. No, um, <laughs> but the Storm Archives is because Gaz was a storming fool. Okay. And so he realizes, Kaladin realizes that Gaz just did it because he's a bully. And he sent this new man out with no shoes, no protection, just because he had that power and he could do it. And so this is my rant. Go for it. About Gaz. Uh-huh. Because guess what? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> what? So as a manager, uh-huh. guess what your role is? Uh, to make sure your team can do their job effectively? To make your team's job easier. You are not there to make it harder. You are not there to be a jerk. You are there to make their lives easier so they can do their job and be good at their job. And as a new manager myself which I'm not very good at it yet, but this made me so angry. I was so angry about this. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm never going to love or sympathize with Kaladin. Lloyd. (laughs) Uh, So Kaladin's just come from being a squad leader. Mm -hmm. Kind of a manager himself. I wonder if you and he will see eye to eye on how Gaz operates this portion of the army. Listen, I have two things I want to have happen, and I don't know which one I want to happen more. A, I want Kaladin to push Gaz off the cliff. Because <laughs> we didn't get to block him. Because we didn't off. get him pushed to block All right, what's the other one? I want Kaladin to fulfill his heart's desire to by pushing someone off a cliff. The second one is I want Gaz to see Kaladin climb the ranks and get promoted, and Gaz gets left in the bridge crew. I have the face of impartial, no spoilers. (laughs) So um, they get to the battle and Gaz puts Kaladin in the front. Another terrible manager move. So we've talked about the shape of this bridge, that it's sort of like a trapezoid. So Kaladin is near the front. He's still one of the three men who are under the bridge, 
But since he is so near, since he's basically in the front, he can now see the ground in front of him. And at yeah. first, he's like, this is so nice. This is better. Wow, they put the new guy in front. That's really nice. Why would they let me have this? He says the view is wonderful. Like, he's very happy about this. Yeah, after running in the dark for mm-hmm. a long time. Hours. And someone mentions arriving is the worst part. And we find out why, because there is no protection for these bridge carriers. There is a army of Parshendi on the other side, archers, who their whole job is to take out the bridge crew. And so everyone that Kaladin is standing next to gets shot, including the leathery face man who was his friend. He talks, oh, this part is horrible as well. He talks about how much heavier the bridge gets as more and more men die, but they still have to run and get the bridge over the chasm and people are just dropping left and right. And this is just what happens in a battle. It's not that this is a particularly bad battle. This is a normal occurrence. He, since he is on the front of the bridge, he almost gets shoved out into the chasm when they're trying to, to bridge that final gap. And he looks down into the void And his overextended mind wavered with vertigo as he stared down that sheer cliff, down into darkness. The height was beautiful. He'd always loved climbing high rock formations with Tien. Tien! We don't know who this person is, but oh, he's dead. And by, by reflex, he like whips himself back in time. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. And and you mentioned that the bridge crews have no protection. We mentioned that Kaladin didn't have protection for carrying the bridge crew. So none of these, um, no one on the bridge crew has armor. Some of them have leather vests with padded shoulders just to carry the bridge. Mm-hmm. But they're not wearing any sort of protection from the arrows. Yeah, nothing at all. Brandon Sanderson paints this very horrible picture of war of what's happening and Kaladin is just what? Warrable. <laughs> um he's just horrified. He's horrified at what's happening. Like he's laying with all the corpses and the people checking all the bodies didn't come and see if he was alive because he didn't have boots or a vest to take. And they just didn't bother checking him because he didn't have anything valuable on him. And so the the little windsprint shows up. And she's like, get up. Because <laughs> he's like, I could lay here and die. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. <laughs> so she, it says, he didn't want to open his eyes. The world is a nightmare. And there's a, a voice that's just like, they're going to leave you. You have to get up. And he's like, I... I, I can't let me go. And somebody smacks him in the face. He feels a little, almost like a like a spark, like from static. So it's not, it doesn't feel like a hand. But when the windsprint, who gives us a name, Silphrenia, Silphrenia, she is able to connect with him and get him to open his eyes. Mm-hmm. When, when the windsprint wakes him up, he was, you know, he could have been annoyed he, he rubbed his jaw where she'd struck him because he talks about larger spren like her could move small objects and give little pinches of energy. Usually that makes them more annoying, but this time it had probably saved Kaladin's life. And he asks her if she has a name. And she sort of zones out for a bit and she goes, I do. Why? <laughs> Why do I have a name? And Kaladin's like, how should I know? <laughs> and she hovers in front of his face 
and says her name is Silfrena. And he's like, Silfrena. And then she says, Sil. She cocked her head. That's amusing. It appears I have a nickname. Kaladin notices something on the plateau where they had just fought. Because, like, apparently uh, it seemed like we'd won because soldiers are picking through the corpses of dead Parshendi. But the plateau where the actual battle had taken place on, there's something in the middle of the plateau. It's like an enormous rock bud, which is what the grasses and stuff oh, sort of live in. Oh, that's right. It's like some kind of chrysalis or shell one side of it has been hacked open and there's something slimy inside and Kaladin hadn't mm. noticed it on the first charge. So we don't know what that is yet, but that's that's um, where they were at. And his leathery-faced, you know, the person who helped him out is dead. And so Kaladin, because he has to take the bridge back, takes his friend's boots and tunic vest thing because what else is he going to do? Because <laughs> uh, Kaladin felt disgusted with himself but he wasn't going to count on Gaz giving him clothing. And so he ends up rejoining the bridge crew because he's like, well, I'd rather not die of hunger and thirst out here. And he shows up and Gaz is like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> so Gaz points to Kaladin and like points back to the bridge. And Kaladin's like, you've got to be kidding. And Gaz is like, we either carry the bridge or you stay behind. And he seems angry about something. And Kaladin realizes, I was supposed to die. That's why he didn't care if I had a vest or sandals. He put me at the front because he wanted me to die. And Kaladin realizes he's the only person on the front row who lived. And he finds out that, hey, guess what? On the way back, it's easy. They let us go slow. So as we reach on to the tail end of the chapter, Kaladin is just numb because he thought there was nothing worse that could happen. Um, Nothing worse than his slave's brand, nothing worse than losing all he had to war, nothing more terrible than failing those he'd sworn to protect. It appeared he'd been wrong. There had been something more they could do to him. One final torment the world had reserved just for Kaladin. And it was called Bridge Four. Ooh. Hey, that's the name of the chapter. That's the name of the chapter. But here's our third chapter. Anything reasonable. Yep. Can you read us the epigraph? I would love to. It says, they are aflame. They burn. They bring the darkness when they come. And so all you can see is that their skin is aflame. Burn, burn, burn. It says, collected on Palahishev, 11.72, 21 seconds pre-death. Subject was a baker's apprentice. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Okay, we're back with Shalon, who has found out by now that Yasna Kalin is not going to take her as her ward. And Shalon's like, well, she doesn't say this to Yasna, but she's like, that's not acceptable. My entire house is counting on me. All my brothers are counting on me. I have to find a way to get this woman to keep me as her ward. And... And, like, Yasna's not like, no, never. She's just more like, hey, you impress me, but learn some more stuff and then we'll talk. And then we'll talk. We find out some more because Shalon's talking about how this is her goal is to get this soul caster. And we find out a little bit more about what's been going on at House Devar that her father had an illegal soul caster. And he, all their wealth, came from... A marble? Is it a marble mine? Uh, it doesn't say. There's just a, a quarry. Does it say what they mine? I don't know. I think it was just like valuable deposits. Valuable deposits. 
Apparently her dad was using the soul caster to make these deposits very carefully so no one would notice. But here's the thing, obviously there's gonna be consequences to that, but I'm just like, why not use a soul caster to create stuff? It's illegal. Why? Because it's against the law. <laughs> Who says? Probably. Who makes a lot of the laws here? The king and the princess. See the sign language you have me and I don't know it. Who makes the rules over how slaves can be treated? The religion. Yes. Which is? The Voran Church. But I want to know. Uh, I just want to know. You know what? Do I have to keep reading? Shut I up. I bet. Stop it. I bet Stop that. Stop it. Maybe. <laughs> if you keep on keeping on. Rude. You might find out why it people can't just all have soul casters and make stuff. Okay. We find out that Shalon is here to steal the one that Yasna has and that Shalon has brought the broken one with her and she's got to figure out a way to A, switch them out and B, not get blamed for it because if Yasna's not going to keep her as a her ward. ward, it's going to be pretty obvious that like, well, Shalon was here and now she's gone and my stuff is gone and so it's probably with her and so. yeah. Because um, the original soul caster that they found on her father after his death, it was broken. And they were able to, like, repair the chains and stuff. But it just, its ability just isn't there anymore. It's just gone. So she is trying to figure out. Oh, really quick. I There was another question I had. They talk about brightness. They mm -hmm. call her brightness. Is that an honorary term, like duchess or yes. whatever? Okay. Because her father was the bright lord Davar. And it is only used by... Use, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you use some deductions. Servants. No, it, it can only be like someone who is addressed as brightness has to be someone with light eyes. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, this part was interesting. He he puts in a little more of the cultural thing. She needs to find where Yasna has gone. And so she I wrote this down. She makes the sign of need. Shalon held her arms in the sign of need, covered safe hand bent across her chest and touching the elbow of her free hand, which was raised with fingers outspread. A woman approached wearing the well-starched white lace shirt and black skirt that were the universal sign of master servant. And so she makes this gesture and someone knows exactly what it is and they just come and, you know, what do you need? And I just thought that was a really cool thing. Because in our, <laughs> our culture, we would just be like, Excuse me, sir, ma'am, are you, do you work here? <laughs> <laughs> the sign of Karen need. <laughs> I want to talk to your manager. Um, sorry. Uh, do you work here? Employee looks down at their name tag and uniform. No. <laughs> Listen, Emily and I both worked at our local grocery store when we were in high school and... People are people. People are really people. Oh, I hated working the day before Thanksgiving. So awful. Hey, hey, don't do Thanksgiving this year, but next year, shop for Thanksgiving before the day of, okay? I'm going to need you guys to make some exhaustive lists, and I need you to prepare like a week in advance. Nobody likes to go to the store the day before Thanksgiving. No one likes to work at the store the day before. Sometimes the day of Thanksgiving. Yep. 
be mindful, be prepared. Gosh. Don't. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> tangent over. <laughs> my favorite, because I worked at the bakery section, and my favorite was, because everyone placed their order in advance, so all we did was make 8 million bread eight rolls. 8 million bread rolls, and people come up and say, I need one of those, and I say, you can't have these. They're already, they've already been, you know, paid they for. Pre-ordered. They're for somebody else. Well, I need them. I can't do anything about that. Well, when are you going to make some more? We're not making any more. What? You know, and I'm just like, listen. I understand. Anyways. We're, anyways. We're not. One more story. So, like, I was a bagger for a while. And, you know, I tried to be jovial and chipper and, like, engage a little bit with the customers. And there's a bit where someone was just buying a ton of ice cream and root beer, probably for some sort of church group root beer float party. And so the lady, not the person with the root beer, but the lady in front, I was like, oh, hey, looks like someone back there is getting ready for a party. And she just looks at me and goes, well, everything I'm buying is healthy. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) goodness. Oh, man. All right. Your doctors and your grocery store baggers know what's going on with you. (laughs) Sometimes orders would come through. And you put the pieces together and know what sort of night they were planning. And I'm like, I'm a minor. I don't want my deductive reasoning skills to be used for this. <laughs> I need to do my AP tests. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I was home writing my AP lit essay. <laughs> All right. About Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Here is something that we're finding out that is very interesting. So she's being taken to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the way you say it. Palineum. That was really close. Thank you. The Palineum. The Palineum. Okay. And it's like a library sort of. It's kind of where all the knowledge is held. And they put it in perspective where she asks how many books are in here. Well, they, they explain to her how many books are in here, and they tell her at last count there were over 700,000 separate texts in our archives. That is almost a million. That's closer to a million than half a million. Um, Actually, it's not. Okay, listen. It, it's closer to half a million than it is a million. Emotionally, it's closer to a million. <laughs> um, it's not close to a million. <laughs> Um, and she is over... What? I'm sorry I'm so mean to you. You are so mean to me. But it's better we catch corrections here so that I'm the only one who makes mistakes and the commenters yell at There we go. Again, I want to apologize again for Yezrian. Because, like, I know it's Yezrian. I don't know why I said Jezrian. <laughs> it's because I was thinking Jezebel. <laughs> so back to my original thought. Uh-huh. Almost not even close to a million books. <laughs> Shallon says her father had owned exactly 87 books and she'd read them several times over how much could be contained in 700,000 books and she is overcome for a minute. And to get into it, to get to the books, it's very expensive. You have to pay to get in. Yeah. Because they have to upkeep everything. How much does a library card cost? A thousand sapphire bromes. That's a lot. Bromes are the biggest one. She did she mention kind of like 
give you a gauge of how expensive that was? Uh, no, but she, I think she has it, but she doesn't want to spend it. She doesn't have it. Okay. Nope. I don't know then. <laughs> yeah. It's super expensive. It's like more than she paid to like chase Yasna around the world. Okay. And so she still needs to get to Yasna. So she asks if there's a place to wait. Turns out Yasna has kind of like reserved this waiting alcove before you before you can actually go in. And so um, she Shalon's taken there via elevator, which is very cool, like a pulley system mm-hmm. to get up there. So Brandon and I attended the same college. <laughs> And I worked as a student librarian for several semesters. And, like, obviously, I know the BYU library isn't anything close to the Palinaeum. But this is one of the sets in this story that I just love the most. Because I worked at a stone, you know, library. It was, it was, it had some... She's speechless. Sorry. (laughs) Because I worked in like this really beautiful library and it's one of the largest college libraries in the U.S. And it like is, you know, all these many floors and like it extends underground and it has like this gigantic secret floor, which I don't think the Palinaeum has. Sorry, I'm just like ranting about how much I love the BYU library. <laughs> you can reserve study rooms in the library. And so this is like the equivalent of Shalon going up to the front desk of the BYU library and being like, hey, my friend reserved a study room, but I forgot which one. And then they tell her and she's just like waiting in the study room, Yasna. Uh, she's waiting in the study room, Yasna reserved. Nice. So she's taken there and she has got to come up with a way to convince Yasna to let her be the ward. And she is just tied up in knots about how to do this as she's so stressed out because, again, everything is resting on her shoulders. This woman, you know, young woman who has grown up in a library who she doesn't really have any outside world experience. And so she is just almost overcome with anxiety. So she decides to clear her mind. And she does that by, I say sketching. She basically, so through the the first few chapters that we read with Shalon, every so often she'll stop and look at something and almost like take a picture in her mind. And you turn. it turns out that she made a memory with a capital M and she is able to draw it directly from her mind to the paper, like a photographic memory. I'm so jealous. Drawing is so hard. <laughs> I have to work at it so much. And Brandon spends some good pages talking about, it's almost magical the way she does it, because I don't know if you're artists or if you're musicians or what you like to do, but you know that feeling when you get lost in what you love to do and everything kind of melts away and there's just this really cool energy almost about it. And it just, I don't know, Brandon captured it really well in the book about how just everything, everything, clear eyes. <laughs> I did roll my eyes, but it's because, so for me, writing is really easy and art is really hard and I have to put a lot of thought and a lot of time into doing art and it is always a struggle. I don't know why I decided art would be the way I wanted to take (laughs) my career because when I do finish, I'm really happy 
And it's funny for Emily that, that you're reacting this way to be like, oh, it's when you get lost in it. And for me, I'm like, drawing is like a string of curse words and a bunch of tears. I wish I had Shalon's gift <laughs> so much. <laughs> but when I'm writing, that's how I feel. That's how it is. And she draws the city. She she draws the city that she saw when she first arrived. She drew her friend from the ship with the porter that tried to shortchange her. Yalb. Yalb. And um, the piece de resistance is the moment where Yaz... She draws the moment where Yasna, you know, turns the rock into smoke. And she spends so much time on it. Creation spren starts springing up and hovering around her. What was that? It sounded like a guitar. It sounded like... It's the piano. The cats are on the piano. My cats walk here across the piano. Um, anyway, she just goes, anyway, guys, read it. Okay? Just go read it. Because I can't. What? Stop getting on Twitter. No, we're it's not Twitter. It was me being like, for eight years, I'm like, Emily, you have to read this book. And my mouth just dropped open because Emily's like, read it. Read it. You all, you all have to read it. And I'm like... I'm that one cat from Puss in Boots that goes, oh. <laughs> Anyways, I just, listen. Also, don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how was your dessert course? It's really good, right? It's good. This book. <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> I do this because I like spending time with you and then you make fun of me. <laughs> Maybe that's. My love language. <laughs> Teasing. Great. Mm, a vicious mockery. <laughs> a cat's vicious mockery. Um, so now that Shalon has cleared her mind, she feels that she can write Yasna this letter. Go ahead. Uh, just before we move on from this, I want to talk about when Shalon works with the charcoal. So a lot of my work is digital, but whenever I go to a traditional like human figure drawing class, um, I work in charcoals. I love the way she talks about how like, you know, the soft charcoals are the really deep, dark blacks. And then the harder charcoal lets her do the lighter grays and the shine on her hair and everything. And when her creation spren shows up, she mentions the name of the almighty. I want you to try and read oh, it. Oh, Okay. Oh, okay, yes. Who can read that? <clears throat> he had another name allowed to pass only the lips of Ardents. Elethanathile. What's it? It's a palindrome. It is a palindrome. <laughs> it's the biggest one we've seen so far. He who transforms. Yeah. Elethanathile. 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 Uh, Elithinathalie. Nice. Elithinathalie. It's an anemone. <laughs> um, She writes a letter to Yasna, and it is very well written. She is a very well educated person. Um, she talks about, you know, listen, a scientist has to be willing to change her theories. I basically am here to disprove your theory, and please take all of this as an expression of my basically excitement to be your ward, not like. I'm not chastising you. And so she kind of appeals to Yasna's nature as a scientist. 
um, because that's what Yasna is. She is a, a scientist. She's getting ready to leave, but this piece she's done of Yasna Kalin, she realizes is a masterpiece. Like, it's not in a, wow, I'm such a good artist. She, she knows the value of art, and she doesn't want it to be smudged. And so she takes something out to lacquer it, which I know... I mean, what little I know about the art. I know if you have a, a picture and you spray it with like aerosol hairspray, it'll stick in place and not mm-hmm. smudge. And so she's prepping to do yeah. that similar thing. A fixative. Fixative. And listen, what Emily knows about aerosol hairspray is what she knows from having a sister who went to art school. And that's like <laughs> a thrifty college student shortcut. You can buy nice fixative. <laughs> but yeah, uh, aerosol hairspray is what I would do with my pencils and my, my charcoal drawings. And so she has them in her bag. As an artist, I guess she keeps it. And so she's prepping it. And she meets an ardent who comes into the alcove to also meet with Yasna Kulin. An ardent is, I got the idea, like a missionary, a priest, a holy person. But he is not like any holy person she's ever met. He is hilarious. He reminds me of David Tennant's The Tenth Doctor. Very, like, he'll say things very straight-faced, like, what, what was I'm going to dance a jig. I'm going to dance table. a jig, a jig, if you, uh, if you don't, you don't need to be so formal, because she's been brought up to be very respectful in her culture, and so she keeps being very formal, and he's like, listen, if you need me to dance a jig on the table, I will, and he gets up to do it. Like, he's, he doesn't do things by halves. They, they start talking, and, and she kind of realizes, like, he tells her, as they talk, she's like, you're here to convert Yasna Kalin. The famous heretic. The famous heretic. He's like, well, what good of an ardent would I be if I didn't try? And I don't think that's really why he's there. I have nothing to back that up with, but he just seems like the kind of person who doesn't have ulterior motives, but he has a motive. A motive. I have a theory. <laughs> <laughs> He also has a very good eye, and he offers to lacquer the paintings for her, which he does, and she notices that he has skill doing it. He's not a novice at this, and so... Do we catch a name for him? Ooh. Brother Cabsel. Yeah. Cabsel. 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 I love him. Oh, I love him. I will never love Kaladin. But this Cabsel guy who just showed up... I really like him. I like him. Uh, Descript him for us. He has blue eyes that twinkle. He is tall and lean and rather handsome, she decides with discomfort. <laughs> How old is he? Uh, does that say that? It's in his early 20s. Oh, also, we, we realized that her father had owned only three Ardents, all elderly men. Are they servants? They are slaves. They're missionary slaves. I hate that. Yeah. I hate it. It's... It's... Remember how the Voren have a lot of really express rules for slaves? Ardents fall under that umbrella. I hate it. I hate the... I cannot... I don't know why. I cannot express to you why I hate that idea. I don't know why. They're owned, they're bought and sold like property. But did they choose to do it? (laughs) To be... Like, ugh. I don't know why that, like, gives me a really bad taste. Not, I have nothing against Brandon. I think as a world choice, that's a very cool choice. But to live in, oh, I don't like yeah. that. <laughs> so so we've, I, I'm glad that you, you twigged on that because there's a lot of, 
this is just how the world is that is going to start creating more and more friction as the story goes along. Okay. I'm intrigued to read it. It just, it was very interesting. So he excuses himself and uh, she's packing up when, oh wait, Robert, uh, I want to mention why I asked you how this capsule because I missed that the first time I was reading. Oh. And she's like, her father had owned Ardents. They are all old men. And so I'm thinking Capsule's like a grandpa-aged <laughs> monk person. So please keep that in mind as you're going through the book. <laughs> Just like, why is Shalon breaking the Horner Pact over <laughs> this old guy? <laughs> Shalon is packing things up. And Yasna Kalin walks in. She doesn't look happy. That's how the cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. All right. Thus concludes the end of those chapters. Um. So our next week's assignment is actually four chapters. So but many chapters. Three of them are really short. It's still fifty pages. Okay. Because at the end of these four chapters. We will reach the end of part one of the book. Oh, okay. So the next four chapters are chapter eight, Nearer the Flame. Chapter nine, Damnation. That's got to be a Kaladin one. (laughs) Chapter 10, Stories of Surgeons. And chapter 11, Droplets. And that will end part one of The Way of Kings. Ooh, So, Emily, can I ask for your immediate reactions of what comes next for Kaladin and what comes next for Shalon? Um, So, listen, I feel like I'm cheating at this point because I've seen some of your artwork that you've done. (laughs) And so I kind of know something that's going to happen, that he shows off what he can do with a spear and he kind of puts people in their place. So that's all. That's like the only thing I know that happens to him from here on out. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, everyone, that I love these books so much that I made some fan art that spoiled it for Emily two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so beautiful. I remembered it. Thank you. I worked very hard. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I know that it's going to be interesting because I feel like he's going to try to not to, but it almost seems like he can't help but inspire people around him. And I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go over with stupid manager Gaz and... The rest of the army. I feel like Kaladin's gonna eventually get noticed somehow, and that's gonna make him more enemies than friends. So that's what I think for him and for Shalon. I think something to do with her artwork is going to show that she is valuable to the princess, and the princess is going to use Shalon for her own purposes, and she will become the ward. That's those are my guesses. Okay. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us, but I have got to get back to drawing my storyboards. My book submission is due and I have got to do it. I gotta write it. Well, do you know what? What? You can do it. Do you want to know why? Why? I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break. Thanks for listening to our episode. We appreciate you. 
Check us out on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SisMadeMeViewIt and head on over to our website, SisMadeMeViewIt.com for behind-the-scenes pictures and, eventually, an updated episode calendar. As of this podcast airing, I haven't created the updated calendar, so I will tell you our next Hill House episode comes this Tuesday, August 10th. Our next Roswell episode comes next Thursday, August 12th. And then you can catch Way of Kings a week after that, August 19th. A special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, for our intro and outro. Listeners, I need a favor. Emily and I are in the midst of a little bit of a ratings competition. So I'm going to plead with you very kindly to leave this episode a rating and a review on your podcast host of choice because by the end of September, whoever has the most ratings on their pick of show gets bought a fancy dinner. I don't think I agreed to fancy. I think it was just dinner. Well, you are getting the ratings of two shows in your pocket and I only have this one. So please, everyone, let's prove that Cosmere fandom best fandom. Eh? Eh? And leave some reviews on this podcast of ours. Next week, we're going to be covering four more chapters. We're going to be closing out to the end of part one. So if you're following along with us, congratulations. We've made it to the end of part one of this gigantor book. But for now, I got to get back to storyboarding. Thank you all for listening. And I will see you next time on My Sister Made Me View It. Ciao. What's heavier? 15 thousand cavals of stone or 15,000 cavals of smoke. It's stone because stone is heavier than smoke. But they're both 15,000 cavals. I don't know what this is. <laughs> <gasps> hey, uh, all right. So it's these Scottish guys. It's these Scottish guys. And somebody shows up and says, all right, here's a math question for you. What's heavier, a kilogram of steel or a kilogram of feathers? And it counts down. Ding, ding, ding. You're right, it's the kilogram of steel because steel is heavier than feathers. And then his friend, like it cuts and his friend's like explaining to him, he says, no, they're, they're both a kilogram. No, but steel's heavier than feathers. I know, but they're both a kilogram. That's, oh, Sherry, come. And she says, so it's a bit of steel is heavier than, you know, just like a handful of feathers, but... You've got a kilogram of steel and a kilogram of feathers. And the main guy's like, but, but, steel's heavier than feathers. <laughs> and then the rest of me like, you're right, love. And he's like crying. He's like, steel's heavier than feathers.